truth is I don't know how political a person I would be if I had not been born a woman in a world that is inherently misogynistic and a queer person in a world that is inherently homophobic and specifically a, a butch lesbian is the thing that has affected my identity more than anything. You are listening to Made of Human, also known as the Mopad, a podcast hosted by Sophie Hagen, who is a Danish comedian. Mopad. Trying to find out Mopad. how to do life. Mopad. But it turns out Mopad. nobody knows Mopad. with you <laughs> as always I always am this episode uh, should have when I was doing when I was recording this episode was with Grace Petrie it was hard for me to not be thinking about how it should come out immediately we recorded this on a on a Tuesday, the Tuesday after the election in December 2019 and it was so necessary at the time. So I was feeling conflicted about what to do because it definitely should have come out immediately because we all needed to hear everything that Grace is saying. But it was very close to Christmas. My editor had gone uh, on a very deserved holiday. I was basically a broken person and it was just it just wasn't going to happen. Unfortunately, it's still relevant. I wish that I could say, oh, that was back when everything was really dark and sad and, oh, it seemed like the world was not going to be a better place. Uh, hopefully you can still find value in it, even though now everything's amazing. But I can't. I can't because it's still shit. So I think Grace's words will, unfortunately, still be relevant. It's an amazing episode. I say that as... Uh, it's. Do you know what's real... One thing is just Grace being an amazing person, but just hearing someone who's this, who fights, you know, especially during this election, there was a lot of, um, a lot of people being quiet, which was, uh, I mean, understandable. You know, you did see people speaking up who got absolutely torn to, threat, to threats, um, but to have someone like Grace just fighting so hard was uplifting in the midst of all of the darkness. So, for those of you who are not from the UK, it's not like this won't be relevant to you. It's still a story about uh, fighting injustice and wanting wanting the right people to win. And if you don't know anything about the election, in short, the bad guys won. Uh, the British Trump won. It's bad, it's really really bad people are going to die it is incredibly sad and grace his grace is also one of the most requested people to be guests on the podcast which so i'm very pleased to to uh, to bring you bring her to you <laughs> um and she should have done it ages ago to be fair it's just as with many things read this podcast it just didn't happen in time but I'm so glad she did it. I'm so glad she did it. Now, I think that she says she's going on tour. She's going on tour. Go and check her out. Also, go check out me on my tour. I'll be going to loads of different places all over the UK. 
go to surveyhagen.com forward slash tour to see all the dates and to get tickets. I am so excited to get back out there. I have not done stand-up for so long at the time of me recording this. Not done it for so long and I miss you and I can't wait to see you and meet you after the gigs and uh, just, yeah, come. I'm excited to see you. That was me trying to sit up in bed. Ow, everything hurts. My body's broken. Here's a, an, if you're under 30, here's a piece of advice. Uh, never turn 30. Your body, your body turns to absolute shit. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I am so, so pleased to uh, bring to you this episode, this conversation that I had with the incredible Grace Petrie. So for people who might not, I was going to say, yeah, for people who might not know who you are, you're one of the people who The majority been, of the population. <laughs> But so many people have requested you on the podcast. Oh, so some some hey, of them will know nice. you. There's at least six people who will know wow. you. Wow. <laughs> hey. But for those that's who, my, uh, that must be my target demographic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my audience. Uh, tell us a bit about who you are. Um, well, I am a singer-songwriter, um, and I come from Leicester. And I guess some people would call me an activist I don't think that's I probably haven't done enough to earn that title but a protest singer gets applied to me a lot I sing political songs basically yeah I think that's yes. how most activists say it I'm an kind of an actor <laughs> am I deserved am I deserving yeah. I don't know I, I just tweet a lot <laughs> does that count I don't think it does different different schools yeah. um so uh, what I usually ask is what sort of state of mind you're in at the moment sort of you know when you have a chat like this it can be so different depending on did we talk yesterday morning it would have been different than now or in a week so right now what's sort of the lens that people will hear what you have to say through like what is your where are you in your life like personally emotionally what's happening well (laughs) um we lost the general election five days ago, uh, catastrophically, um, and so I am bad. I'm quite bad at the moment. Like, I was thinking about this on the way down here. Like, it, like, I, I don't know. The people that are very close to me are all in the same feeling the same degree of, like, actually bereaved. (laughs) Uh, Like, it's probably a mark of the fact that I've led an incredibly sheltered life that I was... Thursday was, like, one of the worst days of my life when the Exit came out. It was, like, uh, absolutely unbelievable. Um, So I'm sure we'll get on to talking about that. But I'd also spent the, like, month before the election... Um, doing, like, Labour Party benefit shows. I did, like, 22 of them um, and doing as much as I could. And I think it was... um, I think we we were all pretty shocked by the results. But I I think I set myself up for the worst possible kind of shock by spending my time exclusively among people who were... You know, I really was like, oh, my God, you know, like, we could win this, like, outright... Um, and I didn't really waver from that much throughout the whole time because I was just spending time with, you know, 
pe- Labour people, you know, and the and the Labour people who were like going out. And I think I wasn't really. I was on like Twitter l- consciously a lot less than I had been before the election in 2017, um, because I find I found it too. Uh, there's a lot of people uh, that I follow on Twitter and this is not like, I don't mean this to be like a bitchy thing, but there's a lot of people I follow on Twitter who are like political journalists and stuff and political tweeters who clearly are like a degree removed enough that it's um, it's quite sort of cool to just have the like like most sarcastic take on it as if it's all a bit of a thought experiment. <laughs> and I... Uh, so I was like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to get... And I found it much easier to be, obviously, as it would turn out, incorrectly optimistic about the results if I was actually talking to people on the doorsteps and talking to people at these gigs and stuff rather than spending all my time scrolling through social media, just incre- increasing my despair and my cynicism and my belief that we can do it. But the result of that, personally, was that I was... Absolutely stunned, like totally nowhere near prepared. Um, yeah, I'm probably going to cry all the way through this. <laughs> um, yeah, and and I think it's like there is there are so many people for whom it's not personal, I guess. Mm. And then I basically only have people in my life for whom it is incredibly personal, you know. Mm. Um, by which I mean I do <coughs> feel personally less safe in Britain. I do feel personally less welcome and less accepted. And I say that as a like a white, able-bodied, middle-class person with almost all the privilege I could have, aside from being gay and being a woman and being a butch lesbian. Um, but I just think a lot of... Uh, you know, the... <laughs> Worst statutes have been emboldened and given legitimacy, and I hope I'm, I sort of been swinging for the last four days between like absolutely catastrophic thinking about what this means and what this heralds and what the immediate future is going to hold, and then kind of kind of like desperately hoping that maybe I'm maybe I'm being dramatic, right? Do you know what I mean? Like maybe yeah, it's going to yeah, yeah. be okay. But I really don't think it is. I think it's going to be. I think, that, and I, and also like I don't think for a lot of people who it, for whom it isn't personal, who are basically going to be okay, who didn't need to campaign and didn't need to care about the result, they are going to. They would hear somebody like me speaking like this and think, "Wow, isn't she melodramatic?" Right. Um, and that's the thing that I, I just feel like we're all, like, sleepwalking. And I, and I think that there's a lot of people who don't realise actually what happened last week and don't realise that it is a, an endorsement of racist populism absolutely on the scale of Trump and... Uh, I feel like... I've never, I've never, I've never felt more afraid of people in Britain <laughs> than I do now. So I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I have a thousand questions, and I, I wanna. I'm glad we started there. 
Okay. And I also want to end there. Yeah. But in the middle bit, I I want to kind of go back and sort of see like everything that happened leading up to last Thursday. Mm. Like your life, like from the beginning. Sure, yeah. Where where were you born? Yeah. What was your upbringing? I'm very like? kind of politics centered at the moment, so no. Like, but that, you're but like, how same, are you? I'm like, we no. lost the election, Sophie. But that's absolutely <laughs> that's the same thing, isn't it? Like yeah. where? But for you to be the person you are now, who have these feelings and who've been doing all these things, like, where did that come from? Where did mm. that happen? Sure. You know, what made you feel the hope instead of the uh, like cynicism around it of, mm. of what turned out to be like a realistic view which is horrible and like you know did you always have these ideas like did you grow, grow up in a socialist politically involved household like mm. I'm curious as to wh- how you ended up here basically yeah. so where'd you grow up you grew, so up, in I grew Leicester. up in Leicester and I had um I, I have an, a wicked family that I'm very very close to um and my parents are awesome people um, my mum they're both retired now but my mum was a social worker and my dad was a probation officer and they're both pretty left wing um, well, they're both very left-wing, actually. And I think that I didn't, like... I wouldn't say that we grew up with, like, a like a like an explicit political kind of education to our... But it was just more like the values we were brought up with. Looking back, I now realise I categorise them as very left-wing, you know what I mean? Like, that nobody should be left behind and that, um, you know, being, like, being gay... I was all, I mean, my mum definitely always knew I was gay. I was always gay and she went out of her way to make it very clear to me from a very young age that that was never going to be a problem. Um, Did you always know? Yeah. I knew before... I knew that I liked girls before I knew that that was a thing. Mm. So, like, I remember hearing the word gay for the first time when I was nine or having it explained to me by my sister and feeling, like, overwhelmingly relieved that it was, like, a thing. Um, you know, because, I mean, I think... Yeah, I mean, when I say, like... I say, yeah, I say, I say from a young age, I mean, as soon as it was, like, apparent to that I had any kind of identity, you know, my, my, my folks were always like, my mum was always like, it's always going to be okay that you're gay. But I do think, like, I still I still believe that the lack of representation of anything other than straight relationships for young children is, like, incredibly damaging, you mm. know, because I basically had... And it, uh, my upbringing was this, like, absolute cocoon of love and unconditional affection and adoration from my parents and my... I have three siblings. I'm the youngest of four. And I still was, like, quite disturbed as, like, a, you know, five, six, seven-year-old because I I was, like... I thought I was the... I thought there was something really deeply wrong with me because I was, like, I'm obviously the only person in the world this has ever happened to, you know. Yeah, I... I had all kinds of wild ideas about why I remember having very strange ideas about why I had these 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 feelings about girls you know that were just very like obviously I was too young for them to be like sexual but I definitely was like in I wanted to like be the prince marrying the princess in all of the stories do you know what I mean mm. like um and 
because that had never been a narrative that I had seen anywhere. I was like, oh God, like there's something, I must be ill. Like, and the things I used to, I used to think I was an alien. Uh, I used to think I was m mad, you know, like I was mentally ill. Um, my family, before I was born, lost a baby boy. And I remember having this idea quite clearly in my head that I was him reincarnated. Mm. And that's why I was... Like, so all kinds of weird things. And then I remember being nine and my sister was in the bath and I was hanging out in the bathroom chatting to her and uh, she said something about someone being gay and I was like, what does that mean? And she was like, oh, it's like when a boy likes another boy instead of a girl. And I was like, what? And she was like, yeah, or well, like a girl likes another girl instead of liking a boy. And I, re and I still remember it really clearly. I remember feeling like, oh, my God. It's that thing. That's that thing. That's what's what. And then I was, and then I was kind of fine. And I never, I never like. I've been confused about it basically since that day. I was like, oh, it's a thing. That's fine. So that's obviously the thing I am. And I never had any like sexual confusion at any point. Then from then on, it's just always been yeah. I've always been very gay. I had the opposite. I was like, well, this must be how everyone feels. Really? Yeah. That's that, so my, interesting. My friend came out to me as um, as bisexual when I was 14. She was like, it was a really big moment for her. She was just like, <clears throat> I am uh, bisexual. And I was like, what's that? And she was like, well, I like both girls and boys. And I was like, duh. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's yeah, how everyone feels. You absolute <laughs> moron, right? What? That's just life. Yeah. Oh, attention seeking. As <laughs> you was just like, hmm. I think you might also. I was like, <laughs> what's that? Just assuming. Yeah. I had the same thing. Recently, I was like, well, you yeah. know how being a woman is the feeling of um, you kind of want to throw up when someone refers to you as a woman. Because I yeah. feel like being a woman feels like, oh, when you wear dresses, that's really gross. Like, that's how being a woman is. And people are like... I don't think so. No, I went to I see drag, uh, drag, uh, drag kings. I went to see drag kings with my friend, and I was just like, oh, I mean, what's amazing about this show is that you just keep kind of thinking about like your own gender and like how, like, what are you the most? Like, are you most woman? Are you most man? And my friend was like, No, <laughs> no, I'm a woman. That's just it. I was like, Oh, <laughs> completely like, the other oh, way around. Yeah, same. <laughs> oh, so it turns out I'm the odd one out. I don't like yeah. that narrative at all. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting, yeah. I don't know how... Did you go to... Um, were you brought up with any kind of faith? No, no, Okay, no, so I went agnostic. to a Catholic school, and I think that, right. that I had a yeah, Catholic education, course. and I think that that um, plays a part massively in, in, like, how out there on my own I felt with it and was with it. Um, mm. Because even... It, it's not, like, particularly an, a, an age thing, because I think loads of my friends now that are around my age... They had loads of gay friends at school, queer friends at school, and or there were like queer people out at their school. Um, one of my first girlfriends was like talking to me about how, you know, when she was in college, they had like a whole like table of all the queers would sit together in the lunchroom, and I was like, there were queers, <laughs> you know. I was really like, it was totally unheard of, and I was like the lesbian in school as well. Do you know what I mean? And like everybody knew forever even though I wasn't out in school, even though I wasn't, like, not out in school because people could see me, do you know what I mean? And I've always looked like this, so... And I was, like, furiously... I was, like, fu like furiously terrified that people were going to find out, um, which makes no sense because 
like I wouldn't say that I mean I would never say that I was like I would I wasn't bullied or anything I had a pretty pretty good time at school but definitely people were like Grace Petrie's a lesbian and I was like no I'm not and then like looking back I'm like what would have been the harm? <laughs> like, because they were already saying it. Like, do you know what I mean? It's not like, what, what, like, the worst that could happen is that they're going to call you a lesbian and they're already doing it. So, it's very true. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah. <laughs> so, I definitely just should have been like, you got me. <laughs> but um, I was very terrified of people finding out. I don't know why. And so, were you, was your, so you say it wasn't, I mean, what I hear you say, which is, uh, person's way of saying this is how i'm projecting onto you mm-hmm. is um so your family wasn't political political it was just a value thing yeah a value thing i mean i do remember like the, the election that we won in 97 my mum and dad like took us all out of school and we went up to our auntie and uncle's house in um bolton and they would like literally popping champagne all night you know and and I remember that as like a cult like a very defining cultural moment of my like you know I would have been like 10 nine or 10 um and I've got real clear memories of them literally staying up all night drinking all night just being like and one of my uncles I remember it being a thing I don't know how true it was although probably given the way that I feel like now I think it probably was fairly true I remember him like there was talk that if they if the Tories won again he was going to emigrate and I and I vaguely remember thinking god imagine caring about it that much <laughs> and now you're packing your bag oh god yeah yeah jeez so did you have a sense of justice do you remember the first time you felt this feeling of wait that's unfair or do you know the sense of yeah um Because, I mean, Catholic school was pretty bullshit. Um, oh. It wasn't, like, a massively hardline Catholic school, but um, I do remember, like... I do remember some um, bullshit teaching about abortion. Mm. Um, bullshit teaching about... I mean, I can look back now as, like, an adult with a feminist brain and identify, like one million things that were wrong you know in terms of like attitudes that were just sort of unconsciously uh part of the scenery part of the furniture um but I remember like (laughs) having like a, a a lesson in year nine about abortion wherein I said I wouldn't have an abortion but I think it should be I think people should be able to I think at the time I was even thinking, like, I'm never going to have an abortion because I'm very unlikely to ever be pregnant, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, so it's not really going to be my problem. And I remember my, like, head of year saying to me, and it was like a whole year assembly that we were having this conversation in, and I remember my head of year being like, um, so you think it should be legal to murder babies? And even at the time, even at, like, 13, I was like, I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to talk to us like that. Like, I'm pretty sure that's not... Um, and I had a lot of, I had, I mean, I, I didn't, I, I never really described myself as being politicised before 2010, when I got politicised by the government, by the Tories getting in in 2010 when I was in my early 20s, and that really affected the direction of my work, and that really affected the direction of my life. Um, so I, I often say that I wasn't really political before that, 
But then I look back at the fact that, like, I ran for, like, I was elected, like, student president and, like, in, at my school. And I remember um, in the... We had, like, a... We, there was me and, a, and, my, and another friend. We were, like, jointly elected presidents. And we were in charge of the yearbook. And by this point, I did have a girlfriend. Um... And the school, like, made us remove any references to homosexuality throughout the book. Like, do you know what I mean? And, mm. like, um, I think by that point there was, like, one other person out and it was me and my girlfriend. And they went through it and they made us remove all, like, loads of references to loads of things. And, and I remember feeling like... And we really, like, fought that um, and and lost. <laughs> And I and I didn't really I wouldn't really I didn't identify it particularly as political at the time, um, but now yeah I mean obviously now I look back and I'm like yeah I guess <laughs> it was it was in me from a fairly young age. It's it's a difficult thing to because I wonder this a lot now whether or not I, especially when I look around and I see a lot of people that just don't give a fuck, mm. and they can not give a fuck. And I wonder, and I don't know how much the truth is, I don't know how much, how political a person I would be if I had not been born a woman in a world that is inherently misogynistic and a queer person in a world that is inherently homophobic and transphobic. Um, and specifically a, a butch lesbian is the thing that has affected my identity more than anything and that I have had all kinds of struggles with and a complicated relationship with. And my identity has been forged, I suppose, in opposition to the things that oppress me without sounding dramatic, you know. Um, so it's, it's impossible to know, you know. Um, I spent a lot of time in my teens just wishing that I was a straight boy um, and thinking I was a straight boy for a while. Is um, that what you mean by a complicated relationship with your butchness? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Like you saw it as a something that meant that you may, maybe weren't a woman? Well, Or is it not as simple? Um, I did think that for a while. Um, it's. I want to be really careful talking about this because... You have to be really careful talking about this so that transphobic nutcases don't take your words to mm. mean that you're saying that being trans is a phase. Mm. Um, but I now I like look back at my teenage years where I spent a lot of them thinking, very much questioning my gender identity. And I questioned that well into my 20s and then I came to the conclusion that I am just cis because I realised that I never had an issue with myself. <laughs> I was never unhappy with myself and I was never unhappy with my body. It was just the whole world was telling me that the way that I wanted to dress was wrong. <laughs> And the whole world was telling me that the way that I express myself and the way that I present myself in the world is wrong. 
and I realised that like, oh well, that's it's the world that's wrong. Like, there's, I'm I'm okay. <laughs> um, but and this is why I mean I just bang on about it all the time, but I just think representation is so important. You know, the stories that we get told, the images that we get shown, um, and it, and especially, I think it is a specific. It's a specifically shit thing still to be a butch lesbian. I think it's a specific cross-section, it's a specific intersection of, of misogyny and homophobia that, you know, I think misogyny and misogynists are very threatened by women who are in no way bothered about the male gaze and don't exist in any way for them. And, I, and I'm not, I have no interest in what men think of me. Um, but I had a real, like, reckoning when I, when I, around about the time, like, that Me Too was all coming out. Because I was, you know, I was thinking that I had this, like, I had this shame about being butch. And I was always butch, like, I was always butch. And I was so afraid of that word. I was afraid of the word butch for so many years. Like, I was ter- I hated the word butch so much more than I hated the word lesbian, you know. Um, and it took me so many years to be comfortable with it and get to a point now where I'm actually kind of proud of it. And I realised that the reason that I felt like that was because the only images I'd ever seen of butch lesbians ever, anywhere, were, like, played for laughs or inherently predatory and threatening. And generally the laughs were that they were predatory and threatening and that like women are afraid of butch lesbians. And, 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 it, took me, and it took me years to unlearn the idea that women are inherently afraid of me, straight women. Um, and I st- to an extent I still feel uh, absolutely like it, picklingly uncomfortable at the idea that any woman would think I am like attracted to her which you know what I mean which is wild actually when you think about it um and I realized around about the time that that, sorry I'm kind of talking quite tangentially here but around about the time that that was all coming out with like Harvey Weinstein and stuff I realized that like all of these stories that I'd ever seen about myself, about butch lesbians, had been written by men, and they'd been written by men like that. They'd been written by the worst men, and they'd been written by men who treat women the way that they want people to believe lesbians treat women. And I was so angry about it, because I was like, fuck, I've been running from this, I've been running from, like, I've been walking in, like, the shame of the predatory butch. I've been walking in her shadow my whole life and it doesn't exist like it's not a thing um so it was like a yeah it was like a long journey to feeling okay with it and feeling comfortable with it and I do I mean I think it is it is an endlessly complicated thing um and one of the things that upsets me the most about the transphobic discourse that we're having at the moment is when people claim falsely and spuriously and cynically and in bad faith to care about butch lesbian representation and visibility when they never fucking have before. Um, you know, like, you know, Gremlin and where were you? Like, what, you could have been writing butch lesbian characters in your primetime sitcoms if you cared about people like me so much. 
if you care about me enough to like organise pylons on me on Twitter when you are literally gargantuan in, in comparison of platform to me. Um, <clears throat> but it's uh, what I what runs concurrently with that alongside that is the fact and it's the same we have this with so many like arguments that we have and so many disagreements that we have in society and so many like the basis of so many oppressions is that like the cut what, what is kind of clever about the turf argument is that there is a kernel of truth in the idea that like butch lesbians don't get a, a good time we don't have an easy ride at all and like butch lesbian erasure which is like a kind of transphobic talking point is a thing <laughs> but it's not erasure because they've never been there it's not like there were all these butch lesbian characters or there are all these butch lesbian media personalities or singers or actors or but you know like i never saw anybody anywhere on stage or screen my entire life that looked like me growing up and it fucked me up it really did you know it made me question all kinds of things that i you know like i said the only the only thing i had to really identify with was like predatory butch extra in friends like coming on to phoebe you know and and the joke yeah, i was just is, trying to remember i was trying to think if i could think of any yeah who there even is anywhere you know um yeah no one other than like really recent like i mean even boo in orange is new black is a bit predatory super predatory oh, and, and like oh even yeah i'm talking about yeah. even in lesbian media like you know um, so like in the L word the only they didn't have any characters in the L word who were anything that I would actually really describe as butch but like the closest no, thing but they wore got, trousers come they on wore trousers yeah <laughs> come on the closest thing we had got had really short hair <laughs> come on what do you want and just very tastefully done makeup so yeah like the closest thing really that we ever really got was like androgynous-ish characters that mm. were essentially like the straight world's idea of mm. what a butch woman looks like and more often than not it was even when it, even when it's played you know even when it was kind of queer media made by queer people for queer people it's generally like this idea of like a lothario right and do you know what i mean it's sort mm. of like the the idea of a butch woman is like um, you know, like Shane in the L word is just like, you know, sleeping with like 10,000 mm. different women every episode. Um, we had the same thing in like Lip Service, which was a short-lived and really exceptionally poor lesbian drama. Sorry if anybody's listening who wrote it um, on BBC Three a few years ago. Um, but generally it would be like the idea of a lesbian when I was growing up was just a joke, right? Like mm. just a one-line joke, mm. you know? Um I'm not talking about characters in anything because we just didn't have characters in anything. We just had like, oh, lol, a lesbian. And like, lol, a lesbian is like coming on to the straight women and like, isn't that funny and gross? Um, there are some similarities with a lot of fat women in, in yeah, media. Of there's, a, there's, there's two types of fat people, mm. or women in particular, in media. And that's the, and one of them is the hypersexualized, mm -hmm. which is. Another word for predatory, isn't mm -hmm. it? Like of there's course. so many. I remember so many scenes where it's this fat woman who's just like mounting a guy who's like screaming help, and it's like ha ha ha. Of course, yeah. yeah it's, and then there's the other side, which is just like completely non-sexual and completely mm. just not even close to having a sexuality. And it's mm. just this 
like maternal figure or this like <laughs> cutie kind of thing. But yeah, there's no in between. Yeah. There's no just regular person with like several dimensions of personality mm. and Sure, and, and I feel traits. like that a lot about like Ellen DeGeneres. Like the only way she, her, mm. she was able to get her career back was to become this like absolutely sexless. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, she's yeah. like a, and I like. I mean, I, 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 whatever she may have done recently, she's still a very important person in the community, and and I stand. But like, well, that's probably going too far. <laughs> I don't stand. But anyway, <laughs> you recognise that some of it was good at a point, yeah. <laughs> But you know she, she saved a lot of gorillas, and I think that's really sure, important. Sure, sure. Yeah, but you know she came out, and her show was cancelled. And then the only way she was really allowed to come back was in this way that was like absolutely like neutered and safe. Mm. You know, and um, she talked about it in her stand-up back then. Mm. And then I saw her most recent show, and she just dances a lot, doesn't she? And I yeah. was just like, oh, oh, I remember that. Did you ever see the scene in the after? I don't remember which show it was. I think it was her last show she did. And she did it was on Netflix, I know, was it? Oh, this was like before, oh, like right, before okay. her talk show. Oh, I see, right, okay. And after the show, she did a Q and A, and there was a, uh, <laughs> I think, yeah, like I think she was kind of a butch woman who stood up and said, "Oh, Ellen, you've met so much of me." And Ellen goes, "Oh, yeah, sir." And then she's like, <gasps> and then she realizes what she's done, and she's like apologizing. But everyone's mm. like, "Oh, but, you know, people yeah. feel really." kind of warm towards the whole situation and this woman is like crying and being like you've meant so the world to me and she p- brings her up on stage and she hugs her and I remember oh, wow. just weeping yeah. like weeping through that being like this is the biggest thing I've seen what was that 10, 15 not more years oh, ago oh more yeah, yeah 20. way more than that yeah 20 years ago yeah and I, that was so important and now it's like mm, yeah okay yeah maybe the and it's that thing about but again it's like it's 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 privilege isn't it and I think it's the the desire the desire to like assimilate mm. you know and basically be like I mean her her role now as as like a billionaire talk show host in on daytime TV appealing basically to like middle America is to be like I'm no threat to you yeah. And I feel like it's just all still part of the same conversation, which is basically yeah. treating... It's like, I'm not like them. I'm not like those angry lesbians. Yeah, I'm one of the accessible you know? ones. You can, yeah. yeah, and my God, oh God, I spent... Yeah, I was so, again, like, th- things I was afraid of being. I was afraid of being, like, an angry lesbian. I didn't want to, like, God, they don't sound like fun guys. And now I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, I'm at, yes, I am angry every day of my life. Of course I am, like... The world. Maybe there was a reason for the yeah, stereotype. Yeah, maybe, absolutely, yeah. Maybe <laughs> maybe I apologise to all of the le- angry lesbians that I ever, ever, like, thought. I mean, geez, what a privileged kid I was to be like, I just want to be a fun lesbian. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it, but it's, I, I think that, like, Hannah, you know, um, Hannah Gasby, um was like a revelation to me mm. and and I saw Nanette at Soho Theatre two years ago and that absolutely changed my life um you know had a profound effect on me more than I think any other piece of like art I've ever seen um because I'd never heard, I'd never seen anybody like and I I mean I know I I I know she get she gets this a lot where people like hook their own, project their own. I don't want to say, like, she's telling my story because she's telling her story, but also part of it's my story. And 
I'd never seen my story told anywhere. Um, she's also a really good example, right? Because hmm. she's not... I saw the show twice, and at no point would I say that she was angry. Mm. She was hurt. She was expressive. She was, you know, she had all of the, she was being a person. Yeah. But even she, not being, like, whenever she's on TV since, she's been really funny and, like, mm -hmm. sarcastic. But she's also, people all just say, oh, she's very angry. So that's the thing is, even if you're mm. not an angry lesbian, you're still, you're still you, you'll still be told that you are. Definitely. You can be so smiley and And people yeah. will still be like, whoa. Yeah. Because that's not, they don't know what they're actually yeah. interpreting yeah. from that. And the only way, I guess the only way to be not an Anglo husband is to be like going to ball games with George Bush. Yeah. And then going on TV and going, hey guys, let's all be friends. Politics shouldn't get in the way of friendships. You know, mm. but that's, yeah. Mm. You've you got to be very, 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 very comfortable in order to have that worldview. So what happened in 2010? What shifted mm. in your. So I yeah so the Tories got into power and then I um, I wrote a, I wrote a song called Farewell to Welfare, which is about Theresa May being made the Minister for Equalities, which she was in 2010, and it was a bit of a wake up call because I had, like I said, you know had this incredibly like supportive family, um, I'd come out. When I did come out of school, I didn't really get any... I did, it wasn't really a problem, because as, as I've mentioned, everybody already knew. So they were a bit like, yeah, we've been saying this for years. <laughs> um, so I found myself in my early 20s when the Tories first got into power, um, kind of having, for the first time, the, uh, the, uh, the experience that, like, being gay might actually negatively impact my life because this was somebody who was now in charge of my rights as a gay person who had used her power at every available opportunity to vote against the rights of people like me and that was like quite a scary thing and then I started to see the effects of austerity coming in very quickly and touching people in my life and um and I wrote a song yeah and I wrote a song about it and I didn't I, don't, I didn't think it was very good it certainly wasn't very politically literate because um, I didn't really know what I was talking about and then I played it at a gig and um, it just had a huge reaction and um, people started calling me a protest singer and then it was a it was a time to be it was a very like politically fertile time I think for my generation um, I don't know, we're pretty similar in age, I think, are we? Are you, I'm 32. Yeah, I'm 31. Yeah. Um, so it, there was, like, this huge student movement um, that came off the back of, like, the Lib Dems tuition fees thing where they promised they'd repeal tuition fees and then they got into power and they tripled them to £9,000 a year and and there was this massive, like, student backlash to that because the student vote had been very instrumental in the Lib Dems getting into coalition power. Um, so it was like a fertile time to be, and around about that time there was like Occupy St Paul's going on, Occupy Wall Street, and we were like marching every month for some other cause, um, and and it really felt like, wow, you know, this is the start of something, like this generation is going to save the world, like every generation thinks that in their early 20s. Um, so I, And I started writing all these songs, uh, yeah, and I was just, yeah, writing so many political songs And then it kind of became what I do, kind of became what, I, what I'm known for, without me really meaning it to be. 
Um, but it feels right. It's a big question. It's a good question. Um, I feel very... responsible. To a degree that I think is arrogantly overinflated. Like, in the great scheme of things. I'm so grateful for my audience, but in the great scheme of things, I have a very small audience, I have a very small platform. Um, but I really feel like I've, I, I have this sense, like I failed last week. <laughs> Which is like, the arrogance of that is unbelievable. Do you know what I mean? Like, who, who do I literally think I am? <laughs> but... I do feel very like I It's a fine it's a fine line because you want to write I want to write about what matters to me and what is in my heart and this stuff matters to me and it is in my heart and it is I am as I just as we discussed because of the way that I identify it's inextricably linked with my heart and my soul and my mind and what that's where my songwriting is going to come from um, but I think that I can only speak for myself and I don't want to be like referred to as a lot of people call me like the female Billy Bragg which, and I love Billy Bragg and it's a compliment but at the same time I'm like, I don't know, dude, I'm just speaking for myself here, do you know what I mean? I'm just talking, I'm just, I'm, this is just what I think. And what I think changes a lot, and I'm and I'm wrong, I worry all the time about being wrong. And I interrogate whether or not I'm wrong all the time. But you don't mean that with your, you mean specific things. Like, in overall, mm. it's not like, oh, maybe the Tories are onto something. Like, that's not how you believe you're... I've, It's not like I never have questioned that. Like we've I've been never... in the past week, we've all been hoping, hoping it. Well, yeah. <laughs> like I've, I've, there's definitely been times that I'm like, maybe, maybe I am wrong about everything, but I never get very far with that because there's no. All I want is people to have a decent life. And there's no moral justification for me for why there are so many people that don't. And there will never be any moral justification for me as to why, essentially, we shouldn't care about each other. And it's very fashionable at the moment to be like, people who voted different from, the, from you are not your enemies and we shouldn't write people off as baddies, okay? But actually, when the politics are this extreme... I can't find a moral justification for voting Tory when what was on the table was the idea and 
perhaps in some ways a flawed idea and a flawed politician and a flawed party and a flawed process, but essentially the idea that we should fucking care about each other and we have enough to make sure that everyone's okay. And if we have enough to make sure everyone's okay, we should be making sure everyone's okay. And that was on the table. And what was chosen was fuck everybody else as long as I'm okay. So I don't get very far when I question whether or not I'm on the wrong team. But there are issues that I do question myself about. You know, we live in very, like, self-reflexive and analytical times and I have too much time on my hands to essentially spend too much time on social media and spend not too much time reading stuff, but I just don't want it, to... It's just very... It's a funny time to ask me this question. I realise that my answer is like just wrong and uh, sorry, long. <laughs> slip is like long and rambling and all over the place. But I'm in this position at the moment where like I didn't, I didn't. Ha- my last record was like significantly more successful than anything I've done before. Um, and now I do feel like there's kind of eyes on what I'm going to do next. And I never had that before. So I just felt able to just write anything that I thought and felt. And now I really feel like, can I back this up? Can I stand behind it? Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like anything I write, I've really got to be able to rigorously defend it. <laughs> oh, Which you don't do I... really feel when you're just writing love songs. Well, how, okay, so how, how do I phrase this? <clears throat> the, the word that keeps popping into my head is purity. Which I think is sort of what, like morally, in theory, everyone should be correct in what they're doing, right? Like no one should be problematic in any way. Mm -hmm. But the world we live in, realistically, every single person in the world is problematic to some extent, Mm -hmm. right? Because we all have bias, we've all... Grown up in the society, we've all been taught things and everything's sure. new, et cetera, et cetera. So, because I found the same thing leading up to the election as well, where I would tweet something, I would go, oh, I, I don't know, this feels like it might be something I'm missing. And then, oh, it's safer to just not. Mm-hmm. And I heard a lot of people, which was when I was like, oh, fuck everything. I heard a lot of people say, with huge platforms, platforms I would not never even get near to having, go, yeah, I probably would have spoken up more in this election, but uh, it's just it's just too much and I don't want to be shouted at. And I can be as like, oh, but you're a coward and that's not okay mm. and you should be doing it. Should, oh, and you could be should. A lot. You can be like, oh, you should, you should. But the reality is a lot of people didn't because a lot of people still have the... And it's... But it's and you should you should call people out all the time, right? You should mm. call people out, call people in, and people should express their anger. At the same time, is that if that also damages it, what do you, what do we do? I had this this whole thing became this in my head in the weeks leading up to the election of going, what if the right thing to do, the morally right thing to do, also harms us? Does that mean we then have to do bad things to progress? In which case, what the fuck, right? Yeah. yeah. So, and that's what when you're saying like, oh, I want to be able to defend it. But what if the answer is you'll never be able to write something that is 
perfect because tomorrow you can realize a new thing. Mm. So in this very moment, yeah, you could write something that you could write now, have research and make 100% sure this is the perfect and pure and morally correct. But then tomorrow, who knows, right? Mm. So what's yeah. the safest thing to do? What do we do? I mean, I think the answer that I'm that I'm not being very good at, like, enacting myself, the answer that I know, but I'm, like, scared to live, is that you have to be authentic. Because you're... Because no one is ever going to be pure. And I have to... Like... Deal with the fact that people aren't going to like me. And that is, at the end of the day, what we're all, all of us in this business, and all of us with platforms, you don't get platforms by not wanting people to like you. Mm. You don't get huge platforms by not, I would argue, wanting quite badly a lot of people to like you. And I'm not in any way excluding that from myself. Like, God, the whole reason I'm in this game is because I want people to like me. Do you know what I mean? Um... But well, you want the right people to like you, right? Do I? I mean, do you? well, uh, yeah, more and more. Well, I imagine Tories don't like you. Yeah, I don't but care do about you? Tories? But I mean, yeah. <laughs> but I do think. Well, you I, I'm getting. I'm, get, your own people to I'm getting like better you. at not at not at not wanting the right the wrong people to like me. But I came up on the folk scene, which is like one hundred percent white. Um, 90% over the age of 60 and that's not being ageist but there is a in some cases I think there's a bit of a generational disconnect in terms of queer culture maybe um, and it is yeah 90% 95% very affluent and middle class and um male voices are very strong in it and very entitled to be strong and I spent a lot of time trying to appeal to people who fundamentally I would walk out on stage and they would I know they would not like me from the moment they saw me and I would start from minus 10 with them and I'd spend the whole first 10 minutes getting up to zero where everyone else just starts from zero, mm. you know, and they would, I would, come, and it's not conscious, but I would come out on stage and there would be people who would just feel uncomfortable, uh, feel uncomfortable about me because I am a woman in what the world would call men's clothes and I'm talking explicitly about being in relationships with women and I swear, you know, and, um, and everything about my <laughs> everything about the way I think I present myself does I think make it quite obvious what I said about I don't care what men think of me I'm not I'm not trying to appeal to men at all and there are a lot of men who would just not expect they're just not used to that from women there's a lot of men mm. on the folk scene who are just in the audiences I mean not on the not on the musicians but there's a lot of men who are just not used to they expect their female folk singers to come out wearing a dress and speak to them politely and sing a pretty song and want to court their, you know, um, adoration. And I am not... That's not what I want from them, but I do want them to respect my art and I do want mm. them to think I'm good. I want people to think I'm good at my job. 
Um, so I spent a lot of years trying to make myself palatable to, you know, the wrong audiences in some ways, you know. And, I mean, I done, I've done a lot of touring with Robin Ince, who is a very, very, very dear friend, and I adore him, and I think he's among the best of men, straight men. <clears throat> but he has an audience that is very far away from what is my natural audience. He's got a lot of people that are just kind of telegraph-reading science guys who, if they have pol if they have political identity, it's a right-wing one. Um, because he, a lot of his art isn't, like, explicit. I mean, his politics are very good, and he makes them very clear, but a lot of his shows aren't about it, mm. and people can just go and enjoy the science and enjoy the history and enjoy the comedy, and then he brings me out as a support act, and, I'll re and I'm, I'm faced with this room of people who I will fight tooth and nail to win them over. And usually I would do it because I'm good at my job and because I spent years learning how to win people over um, by making myself funny and unthreatening and, you know, and all manner of other things and not being an angry lesbian, you know. Um, and I've left some of that behind, I think, since I turned 30. Um since I saw Hannah Gasby, since I wrote, I started writing songs about being a butch lesbian and owning that and feeling comfortable with that and realising that there are people who that is what they won't like about me from day one and I'll never get them to like that about me and it's wasted energy to try. But it's not like, in theory, that sounds great, but I'm not capable of doing that all the time, you know. Mm. And I, it does, you know, I'd love to say, like, it just rolls off my back when somebody tweets me and says, you know, that they think I'm shit for a variety of reasons that definitely are not to do with my music being shit because if there's one thing that I don't believe is that my music is shit. Um, and I, yeah, I want, I want the right people to like me, but I, I also worry, I worry, I feel very sore at the moment and very heartbroken about the fact that if this argument over the future of this country, over the future of the way that we're going to live, over the way we're going to treat each other, is as fundamental as I believe it to be, if it is as extreme as I made it out a minute ago, if it's caring about each other versus not caring about each other, I'm terrified to believe that more people chose not to care about each other than to care about each other. And I don't know how I can fix it if I don't care about the wrong people agreeing with me. We gotta bring them on board. We gotta, we got, we have to, because we have a form of democracy <clears throat> and ultimately we need to win the argument. So are you still grieving or have you reached, are you beginning to think about how? Like, what do we do? What do we do wrong? How can we, what's, what's gonna happen now? Is there any? Do I mean, I've really do you have a plan. <laughs> <laughs> I really want you to have a plan. Um, it's funny. I wrote a song for the first time in months and months and months and months. I was feeling really creatively blocked, um, and I wrote a song over the past couple of days. Um, and basically, we just a few years ago, Mark Thomas. I get. I have this quote from Josie Long, but it was Mark Thomas that said it to her, I think, when we'd lost and she was really upset and she said, Mark, what are we going to do? 
And he said, well, we're just going to carry on, aren't we? Because we're not going to join the other team. And it's true. Like, we, yeah, we have to regroup, we have to rebuild, we have to come up with a plan. But fundamentally, I am on the right team. I know what I believe in. And I would rather be feeling as stunned and shocked and bereaved and utterly heartbroken as I have felt for the past five days than be celebrating a victory of this and these ideas. So we're just going to carry on and and we're going to need to because so much is going to be taken away from so many people who voted for this who don't understand what's going to be taken away from them and nothing is going to be there to fill the left to fill that void apart from the left apart from the people who knew what was going to happen and give a shit that's the that's like the cruel irony is that the only safety net that's going to be there is the people who do believe in caring about each other and they're the ones who didn't want any of this so that's what we're going to have to do i think and uh, you know materially I think it's just going to be a lot of community organising and a lot of charity work and, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to use my gigs from now on to make sure that they're all raising money for charities that are affected by this stuff and going to try and do more benefits, going to try and do more volunteering, going to try and make material differences in my day-to-day life because the worst thing that any of us could do at this point is take our broken heart and pick up our ball and go home and say, well, I'm not going to care about this anymore, you know. Because it would be so tempting, and I can't tell you how much, how many moments I'm sure you're in the same boat. Maybe you're a better person than me, but how many moments I've had where I've just thought, I wish I didn't care this much. I wish I didn't care if it's this painful to care about it this much. Well, you kind of go, yeah. like I paid my corporation tax a few days before the, mm. the election. I was just like... I'm voting against my own. Like, I would pay more, and I would happily pay more. Mm. And I'm voting to be like, please let me pay more towards yeah. this. And and then after the election, I, I Googled just because I was like, oh, fuck, I got really scared. So I Googled uh, private health insurance just to see, like, mm. what? Like, oh, do I have to think about that now? Yeah. And just realizing that I would have to pay X amount of pounds a month and then being like, yeah, but I'm not paying it into something. You know, I'm paying it to a company and mm-hmm. and I just start being like, oh, fuck's sake. Like, this feels so me. Mm. It feels so me, 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 me. It's mm-hmm. all about me and my money and my life and my, and it just feels, and, and the company and, yeah, you do feel tempted to be like, you know what? F- fine, what do you, like, what do we do? Because yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't 50-50, mm-hmm. which was what was the biggest shock to me, I find. Like, I thought it was going to be at least close and then it was just this feeling of, oh, shit, this, mm. it's like you feel like you've just climbed over this mountain and you just reached the top and then you realize, oh, it was just a tiny hill and the mountain is there. You're like, oh, for fuck's sake. And it's so tempting to just be like, I'm just going to go home. Mm. But you're right, you can't. And I think, you know, I'm not going to split hairs about how disastrous a, f- a defeat this was. But I think it is worth pointing out in terms of votes. It wasn't not close. There's mm. three million votes in it. The system is fucked. The system is fucked, yeah. The system is totally fucked here, and that 
we that's something that we need to deal with and as the Labour Party we need to have an answer for that because we haven't historically that hasn't been close to the top of our agenda but also we need to look at the fact that like where the losses were made in northern towns and midlands towns they were made in huge you know places that the Tories just should not win you know they won by a lot and we have to look at the geography of where and why and what is different about their life than the, the people in Putney, mm. you know, who voted Labour in. Um, but I think, it all, but I don't know. I think Brexit fucked it all. Fucked it all up. Brexit, Brexit is, and and that, and I don't feel that it's necessarily being. The analysis isn't fair because everyone is desperate to make this about the Labour Party being too left wing because there are so many people who have vested interest in the Labour Party not being too left-wing. And this Labour Party was not even that left-wing. The things that we're talking about are not that radical. They're really not. Um, you know, so there's work to do there as well. Would you get into politics? Ugh. I mean, I've been thinking about it the past few days, but only because I'm mad with grief. <laughs> Um, I don't think I'd be very good at it at all um, maybe that's what we need I don't, I don't know that's such an easy thing to say isn't it But I, I mean I'm very disorganised and I'm very like I don't do my life very well you know, and all of the things that I do, you know, my whole life is geared towards narcissism, basically, like everything that I do in my job and everything that I do, you know, I have to, I have to sort of try and keep that in check. And But I feel like that's our current prime minister, so I don't see what the difference is between. Yeah. Like maybe that's exactly Just what we need. Just have a lesbian narcissist instead. <laughs> a straight white man narcissist. I'd be absolutely okay with that. Yeah? At, the, at this moment, I would okay. trade it up for this pillow. Okay. If I've got your endorsement. Yes, I'll endorse. I'll endorse. I'll campaign. I'll ring the doorbells. Be like, listen. No, 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 wait. It's a long shot. No, 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 wait. No, no, don't hang. Don't, don't close the door. Okay, listen. I'm going to press play. No, 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 wait. Listen to this song. Yeah, she's got some good ideas. Huh? Okay, do you know Six Ellen? Six albums. You like Ellen, right? Okay, imagine Ellen, but like, hmm. Horror. A lot of horror. Yeah. And not muted <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's let's dancing let's dancing yeah. yeah so the thank you for doing this thank it's you for having me lovely. oh i hope it's not been too much of a downer no i think we needed to hear this um <sighs> a lot last question mm. which if you've listened you know i do know you're in the delivery room and you've just been born and you right now you're holding yourself as a baby as a teeny tiny grace and she is crying right because it's like lights and sounds everywhere it's very scary she was in the womb where it was all nice and cozy and comfortable and now there's just all these people and everyone's being very loud and she's looking at you like what the fuck is this <laughs> what is is this what life's going to be like is this my future just lights and sounds everywhere because this feels very uncomfortable what is going to happen so you can't change anything it doesn't matter what you say you're not going to change the future everything will happen exactly the way it's happening now but you can answer her question which is essentially what is this? Mm-hmm. What would you say to teeny tiny baby Grace? Um, 
I don't know if it counts as advice, but... I think I just want to say, like... You're exactly who you're supposed to be. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You're gonna, you'll, you'll... A lot of people are gonna try and make you feel unintentionally like there's something wrong with you or that you're not who you're supposed to be. But you are exactly who and how you're supposed to be. And you'll figure it out. <laughs> Do you still need to be told that? Uh, yes. But I have good people around me who do, who do tell me that when I need to hear that and who are not afraid to tell me when I'm not being who I'm supposed to be as well. And I'm very grateful for them. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Luckiest stuff. <laughs> Where can people find you? Um, my gigs and all of my music and stuff is at gracepeastry.com. Um, you can hear me on iTunes and Spotify. I'd rather that you heard me on Bandcamp, uh, where I can actually receive some remuneration from you doing so um and uh i'm gonna be in australia um so if anyone's in australia then check that out in february and march and then i just announced a uk tour <laughs> yesterday <laughs> which felt like a very depressing thing to do <laughs> after basically touring the uk all year with all these songs about how like socialism's gonna win guys and <laughs> to, my agent was like you've got to announce your tour today and I was like I'm not doing that <laughs> she was like no 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 you have to like all the venues going live there's a lot of people there's a lot of stuff like in place for it so I just had to be like I don't know what to tell you guys like come to my gigs and we'll cry together <laughs> that's I guess. pretty much how I announced mine as well yeah that's my that's we we'll have do. a good cry we'll have a good cry yeah you know that's all we can do. Like I said, we're not going to join the other team. So. Exactly. We've got better art on our team, <laughs> even if we're crying. <laughs> we're crying. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. After we had this chat, I asked Grace some extra questions and uh, she answered them hilariously and brilliantly. Go to uh, patreon.com forward slash Mopod, M-O-H-P-O-D, and uh, listen to what Grace had to say. I do this with most guests, where after the episode I ask them about some, tell us some embarrassing stories and tell us some uh, about mistakes you've made. It's and so we get a lot of great recommendations. I mean, often it's often I'm really sad that only you know relatively few people will listen when it's so good. So go. All you need to do is give a dollar. I think it's a minimum of a dollar per episode. That's four dollars a month. I don't, I don't even know what that is in pounds, but it can't be more than five pounds a month. And that's all you have to do. Then you have access to all this brilliant stuff. And you'd get to support a puck, or you get to support something that hopefully brings you joy. I get it if you can't afford it. But if you can, there are people out there who can't, who 
really want this to continue, who are emo emotionally invested. So if you don't want to support for you, maybe support for them. <laughs> now, I'm about to say the names of everyone who do support it with $5 or more, who have said yes to being a friend of the podcast. These are the the amazing people who make this happen. I want to say a massive thank you to Andrea Papillon, Andrew January, Andy Walker, Anya Knoblock, Orson Blue Sky, uh, Barry Norton, Caitlin Catposay, Cherry Windsor, Claire McCallan, Danny Beckett, Daniel Reifersheet, Eleanor, Emma Chan, Vanellodon, Privacy Osaurus, Privacy Osaurus, Aurora Teratops, Julian Davison, Grace Ann, Hannah Rose Tristram, Harry Van Dyke, Harry Minnett, Ida Sugalasen, Josie, Kathleen Goodmanson, Kathy Dreichselbauer, Katie Hatfield, Kim Williams, Kirsten Davidson, Chrissy Nicholson, Lillian Harry French have not had drinks with Tim Minchin. <laughs> uh, you can change your names in here. M Dash, Maeve Hulihan, Maury Fraser, Megan Roberts, Tigerific, Paul Swaddle, Perpetual Motion, Pierre Fenne, Rachel Evenheim, Rachel Furley, Rachel Phillips, Ragdoll, Rianne Rivers, Robert Knowles, Robin Cabell, Russell Hughes, Sarah Ferreira, Icaseth, Sarah Allard, Sarah Brazel, Sarah Plumer, Susie Tyler, Victoria Greer, Victoria Layton. Now, as always, uh, well, as has it has been for the past couple of weeks, the Sarahs are winning. We have four Sarahs. We only have three Rachels. We have two Victorias. We have quite a few cats, but not enough to put them at the at the lead. So uh, come on, if your name is. Rachel, you can really make a difference here in people's lives. Or if you are, if you are two people called Victoria, whoa, whoa, that's what I'm saying. I hope you care about this as much as I do, because it's a lot. Now, uh, oh, I was gonna. Oh, where is it? Oh, there we go. I have to find my list so I don't forget anyone when I when I do the thanking. Now, this episode was specially recorded at Clean Prose, which is this incredible co-working space for writers and creatives in Shoreditch in London and it is so beautiful it is so lovely we filmed uh, this recording so we will uh, which will I'll hopefully will be able to put up at some point so you can see how beautiful it is there I am so grateful to Clean Pros for having me there so thank you thank you thank you to Clean Pros and thank you to Dave Pickering for editing this episode to Harriet Brain for writing and recording the jingle and to, and to Justine McNichol for the logo this podcast was produced by Dying Alone Limited. I will speak to you next week. Bye. Love.